Welcome to Season 3 of A New Voice of Freedom. The podcasts are taken from the four volumes In Defense of Christianity, written by Ronald Keith Messer. Podcast 83 is entitled Desire. Probably, when you read the title Desire, you immediately thought of sexual desire. Though I suppose sexual desire is one of the strongest desires of the natural man, it is just one of the innumerable other desires. In this podcast, I want to talk about desire itself. On the one hand, desire is one of mankind's greatest enemies. On the other hand, desire is one of mankind's greatest gifts. Imagine living in a world without desire. One of my favorite utopian novels is by Samuel Johnson, entitled Rasselas, Prince of Abyssinia, written in 1759. The children of the emperor were imprisoned in Happy Valley, a paradise surrounded by high mountains. Ingress and egress were suspiciously controlled, and the inhabitants of Happy Valley were given everything their hearts desired. The valley, wide and fruitful, supplied its inhabitants with all the necessaries of life, and all the delights and superfluities were added at the annual visit which the emperor paid his children, when the iron gate was opened to the sound of music, and during eight days, Everyone that resided in the valley was required to propose whatever might contribute to make seclusion pleasant, to fill up the vacancies of attention, and lessen the tediousness of time. Every desire was immediately granted. All the artificers of pleasure were called to gladden the festivity. The musicians exerted the power of harmony, and the dancers showed their activity before the princess in hopes that they should pass their lives in blissful captivity, to which those only were admitted whose performance was thought able to add novelty to luxury. Such was the appearance of security and delight which this retirement afforded, that they to whom it was new always desired that it might be perpetual, and as those on whom the iron gate had once closed were never suffered to return. The effect of longer experience could not be known. Thus every year produced new scenes of delight and new competitors for imprisonment. Everything was furnished to the children of the emperor, who, with good intentions, had placed them there to escape the evils of the world. Here the sons and daughters of Abyssinia lived only to know the soft vicissitudes of pleasure and repose, attended by all that were skillful to delight and gratify with whatever senses can enjoy. They wandered in the garden of fragrance and slept in the fortress of security. Every art was practiced to make them pleased with their own condition. The sages who instructed them told them of nothing but the miseries of public life and described all beyond the mountains as regions of calamity, where discord was always racing and where man preyed upon man. To heighten their opinion of their own felicity, they were daily entertained with songs, the subject of which was the Happy Valley. Their appetites were excited by frequent enumerations of different enjoyments, and revelry and merriment were the business of every hour, from the dawn of morning to the close of the evening. Those who came from the outside were not allowed to stay long. Only the children of the emperor were permanent residents. Therefore, those who came to Happy Valley from the outside world saw Happy Valley as paradise and did not want to leave. 
The only unhappy person in Happy Valley was Rasselas, the oldest son of the emperor. He was unhappy, but having everything he wanted, he did not know why he was unhappy. He describes his dilemma. What, said he, makes the difference between man and all the rest of the animal creation? Every beast that strays beside me has the same corporal necessities with myself. He is hungry and crops the grass. He is thirsty and drinks the stream. His thirst and hunger are appeased. He is satisfied and sleeps. He rises again and is hungry. He is again fed and is at rest. I am hungry and thirsty like him, but when thirst and hunger cease, I am not at rest. I am like him, pained with want, but am not like him, satisfied with fullness. The intermediate hours are tedious and gloomy. I long again to be hungry that I may again quicken the attention. The birds peck the berries or the corn and fly away to the groves, where they sit in seeming happiness on the branches and waste their lives in turning one unvaried series of sounds. I likewise can call the lutist and the singer, but the sounds that pleased me yesterday weary me today and will grow yet more wearisome tomorrow. I can discover in me no power of perception which is not glutted with its proper pleasure, yet I do not feel myself delighted. Man surely has some latent sense for which this place affords no gratification or he has some desire distinct from sense, which must be satisfied before he can be happy. One of Rasselas's teachers tried to console the prince. He asked Rasselas how can he be unhappy in Happy Valley, where everything is provided. Rasselas answers, That I want nothing, said the prince, or that I know not what I want, is the cause of my complaint. If I had any known want, I should have a certain wish, that wish would excite endeavor, and I should not then repine to see the sun move so slowly toward the western mountains, or to lament when the day breaks, and sleep no longer hides me from myself. When I see the kids and the lambs chasing one another, I fancy that I should be happy if I had something to pursue. But possessing all that I can want, I find one day and one hour exactly like another, except that the latter is still more tedious than the former. The sage, thinking he is addressing the problem, actually adds to the prince's discontent. Sir, said he, if you had seen the miseries of the world, you would know how to value your present state. What the sage said sparks an idea in the prince's mind. Now, said the prince, you have given me something to desire. I shall long to see the miseries of the world, since the sight of them is necessary to happiness. And that describes the plight of all mankind. We understand happiness only because we understand misery. One cannot know anything without knowing its opposite. You have given me something to desire, said the prince. There is nothing in this life greater than desire. Desire is the core of our success, and desire is the core of our failure. For example, we could not have agency if we did not know both good and evil. That is the only reason God allows Satan to roam freely over a world that Christ himself created for our benefit. The emperor, though driven by benevolent intent, was in fact denying his children free will and agency. 
He was a tender tyrant, a bounteous bully, a loving jailer. Remember that Satan was cast out of heaven because he wanted to usurp the power of God. But when he was cast out of heaven, he was allowed to roam on earth because God wanted us to have agency. To have agency, we must be enticed by both God and Satan. Thus, desire is born. If we desire good, we follow the enticements of God. If we desire evil, we follow the enticements of Satan. God allowed it even though he knew it would bring misery to mankind. Who would you rather have as your master, a God who allows agency, or an emperor who removes all evil choices? Only those who know misery could wish for Happy Valley. Adam and Eve left the Garden of Eden. This is far closer to home than many are willing to admit. The liberals today wish to remove all opposition. They are like the emperor. However, the difference is that in their desire for power, they are promising a utopia, which they are unable to deliver. Many are trading their freedom for entitlements. When the majority desire ease, they fall prey to a minority who desire power. Desire often clouds judgment, so one falls for empty promises. As Paul said, their understanding is darkened. Now let me return to the synonyms of desire. Lust, wantonness, puriency, lasciviousness, saliciousness, and lechery. Since sexual desire is so powerful, I have begun there. Sexual desire, however, is not evil in itself. It is the manifestation of sexual desire that is good or evil. Adultery, for example, made it to the top ten commandments for a reason. Adultery is the product of ungoverned sexual desire. On the other hand, it is not the sexual desire that is evil. It is uncontrolled sexual desire. Without sexual desire, mankind could not feel one of the primary commandments of God to multiply and replenish the earth. Because uncontrolled sexual desire is so commonly practiced, synonyms for sexual desire generally have negative connotations. Lewdness, bodiness, eroticism. We ascribe uncontrolled sexual passion to the natural man. Paul gives us the following description of the natural man. Having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling, have given themselves over unto lasciviousness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. Ephesians 4, 18-19 One of the purposes of coming to earth was to gain a physical body. Having a physical body with all of its appetites, passions, and desires is not a sin. We are not born in sin. We are born in a sinful world. But a newborn baby is as perfect as God himself is. How can a baby sin? A lot of confusion comes from a misunderstanding of sin. God created our body. However, God did not create sin, and neither did Satan. God created good. God created law and order. All that is good comes from God. Satan is the author of evil and the father of sin in that he entices mankind to violate the commandments of God. Sin is violation of law. Satan is antichrist. All sin is violation of the laws of God. Without law, there would be no sin. On the other hand, without law, there would be nothing else either. Law alone gives order to the universe. Sin is violation of that order. The world no longer comprehends sin because the world no longer comprehends absolutes. Law is absolute. Therefore, sin is absolute. 
Liberty is a product of law. Captivity is a product of violation of law. Obeying the laws of God leads to liberty. Disobeying the laws of God leads to captivity. As Paul said, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Christ said, Then said Jesus to those Jews who believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. John eight thirty one through 32 You cannot have good without having evil any more than you can have evil without having good. Everything has its opposite. Sin occurs when we exceed the boundaries established by God. One of the purposes of the commandments of God is to define the boundaries of morality. Sin is a tsunami that does not recognize natural boundaries. When we live outside of those boundaries established by God, we drive away the spirit and we give ourselves over entirely to the natural man. The principle of opposition is one of the single most important principles of agency and even of our existence. Without opposition, you cannot have free will, agency, liberty, or freedom. Without opposites, we would be as dead things without feeling, without desires, without motivation, without purpose, without life. On the other hand, if we choose the good, we choose the consequences of the good. If we choose the evil, we choose the consequences of the evil. All of our problems today are caused by people choosing evil over good and then denying the cause of the consequences. Their understanding is darkened. The ability to control our desires is one of the primary things that separates us from the animal kingdom. Science likes to classify us with the animals because science only considers the biological kingdom or the natural world or natural law. That is why they believe in determinism. Determinism is the belief that man does not have free will, that he is entirely governed by natural instinct. Determinism is at the core of political correctness, the idea that morality is not absolute or inherent or divine, that morality is what man says it is, and good is the universal condition of the natural man. In other words, if it is natural, then it is good. The reasoning continues that sex is good, therefore any variation of sexual desire is good. It has become a slippery slope, because there are movements justifying every action of the natural man regardless of the consequences. We are a nation in denial of simple cause and effect. We treat the effect while ignoring the cause, which is deadly to any society. No society can continue in such madness. If it continues its course, law and order as we know it will be destroyed and replaced with confusion. Look again at Paul's frightening prophecy, for it describes our day. Having the understanding darkened. Darkness replaces light. What was once called evil is now called good, and what was once called good is now called evil. Even gender is no longer recognized. Childhood is being denied, and our prurient world wants to teach sex to four-year-olds. If such a course is followed, our liberty as we know it will collapse, and we will be left dealing with consequences with no comprehension of the cause. Being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them. The life of God refers to the virtues of Christ, the commandments of God, and all the rules of conduct taught in the Holy Scriptures. If we become alienated from the life of God through ignorance, then we'll have to pay the consequences of an entirely lawless society. Being past feeling. 
Christians rely upon the still small voice of the Holy Ghost. The whisperings of the Spirit give us direction. It is felt in the heart more than heard in the ear. When we become past feeling, we shut out the Holy Ghost and move further away from the life of God. We follow the natural man, deriving all of our laws from the natural man. No society can endure where the natural man rules. Given themselves over unto lasciviousness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. Imagine a society that gives itself over entirely to the lust of the flesh. Lust is not just a sexual desire. Probably lust for power is even stronger than sexual lust. That leads us back to our primary term, desire. We will work hard to achieve our wants, but we will die to achieve our desires. Wants are fleeting things. They pop up one day and are often forgotten the next. But desire is an ember ever burning, ever seething, ever simmering, ever smoldering, ready at any time to erupt with volcanic effusions and unreserved effrontery. Sometimes we get our wants, but we always get our desires. Again, I go back to the synonyms. Aspire to, lust after, crave, hunger, burn for, pine for, aroused, inflamed, fervid, zealous, craving, covetous, ravenous, voracious, rapacious. If we desire liberty, we must live the law of liberty. The law of liberty is none other than the Ten Commandments. On the other hand, if we sow the wind, we will reap the whirlwind. Know thyself, says the ancient Greek aphorism. It could just as well be, know thy desires. You may or may not acquire your wants, but you will always be granted your desires. Would you like a peek into the final judgment? You don't have to wait until the end of the world. Look inside your heart. God does. God is omniscient. If you show mercy, God will show you mercy. This earth isn't fair. We all learned that at a very early age. We cannot judge ourselves by the opinions of the world or the acts of fate. That's a false reading. We should never grant anyone that much power over us. But ultimately, at the great summing up of our lives, we will have to confess to God, Thou art just. As for me, I got what I desired. Thank you for listening. Watch for our next podcast. In Defense of Christianity is available at RonaldMesser.com.